0: Hello, and welcome to What Else Do You Do? I'm your host, Masao. I'm an indie producer in Montreal at Studio Cut to Bits. And today, our guest is Osama Dorias. Please introduce yourself.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Osama Dorias, as uh, Masao said. I'm the lead game designer at WB Games in Montreal. I'm also a game design teacher at Dawson College. And I'm also uh, one third of the podcast The Habibis. I used to do other things and for now they're kind of on pause, but I used to also run, uh, co run the Montreal Independent Game Awards, which uh, has had been running for five years. COVID kind of put a, a little bit of a stop to that. And I was involved in and continue to be involved in a lot of other little game industry related things.
0: So this podcast is called What Else Do You Do? So what else do you do? But usually, which that's that's what I usually say, but today we're going to talk about what else you did.
1: Yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. I mean, I keep oh, busy so you can okay. see it all. I don't really have a lot of time for what else do I do, but uh, what else did I do? I could talk about a lot. Um, this is actually uh, not my first uh, job or not my first career. I've done a lot of different things. I'll fast forward through the jobs I had as a kid or jobs I had through school which uh, like you know on paper routes and I, I worked retail while going through through university uh, and college. So I'll fast forward through those. Uh, my first job uh, out of university, I was a shipping agent. A lot of people don't really know what that is, but uh, basically whenever you have commercial ships that come to uh, a port, you need they have to be represented by a local shipping firm. And, you know, we do uh, the paperwork for them, which is the boring part. And unfortunately, it's the biggest part of the job. But we also do a lot of the other stuff, like we take care of the needs of the the ships and the crew. And that I actually found really fun. I I love serving people. It's one of my things that I love doing a lot. So one of the things, uh, for example, is you want to make sure that they have food on board so they give you a list of, of uh groceries and you uh, there are some companies that come and provide them so you, you're the facilitators but it could be sometimes they have shore leave and you take them bowling or <laughs> sometimes they give you a list of movies and you go buy it for them and it's things like that so it ranges it's always exciting and it's a lot of fun because you get to meet people from literally all over the world anywhere that has a port they could uh yeah they could find their it- way here
0: so, you worked in the port, like, or a building near the port? Uh,
1: so, our, our building was in old Montreal. It wasn't that far from the port at all. But we serviced ports all over Quebec. So, I did a lot, a oh, fair okay. bit of traveling. Yeah. I used to go to uh, a lot of ports that you wouldn't recognize their names. You would recognize where their cities are. But, like, the, the port of Grand Anse or the port of uh, Port Albert, like, a few people would uh, probably not know that both of those are in Chicoutimi, for example. So, sometimes okay. I would spend. You no, know, several months in in one region, uh, just in a really nice hotel room because uh, we didn't have people all over the place and not uh, our shipping company didn't have any kind of monopoly. So, you know, sometimes we get clients in faraway ports, and I have to go there. Uh, one of my favorite is the port of Matan. I loved going there specifically because it had the best shrimp I've ever had ever, <laughs> ever. It was Pork? so so good. And, uh, so it's a fishing, uh, town and what's great about it is that you could buy the shrimp fresh. They just fished it that morning. Okay. Um, and one of my, my, uh, friends told me like, okay, if you're going to be in Matan, great, go, go buy the, 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 the shrimp. So I went and I bought a big bag of shrimp, you know, to, both to consume and also to take home and like share with my family. And, um, I went to the uh, hotel and I asked them if they could give me, you know, the, the butter, you know, the, 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 the dip that you would put the, the shrimp in. And I asked for a cup of that and I dipped the shrimp in, I ate it and I'm like, wow, this is really good. And then I had one without and it was even better. Like the actual <laughs> butter muted the taste like, like it's, it's out of this world. It's like they, they have the best shrimp in the world. Sorry, I know this is not a podcast about shrimp, but seriously, uh, go to Matan. If you're ever in that area, get the shrimp fresh off the boats. <laughs> okay. So yeah, how did you get into shipping? Uh, it's, it's a funny story. I mean, I, I studied political science, which is related to to it in in, in a roundabout way. Uh, but my friend MJ, who we used to play basketball with, uh, actually was a, a shipping agent and they needed somebody. So he's like, hey, uh, you know... Come interview for the job. And when I showed up, I realized that nobody thinks of shipping. So nobody applies for their jobs. If you show up, you pretty much get it, especially back then. I don't know if it's different now, but back then, nobody thinks, hey, I'm going to like go to like be a shipping agent and go on boats and meet captains. That's not a a career choice that comes to mind. It's a, it's kind of an oddball job, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I showed up and I was the only person who interviewed. I got it by default. Okay,. Incredible. I mean, I enjoyed it. I love the traveling. I absolutely didn't like the the paperwork. It's not fun at all, but I guess i and, and I mean worse than most paperwork. It's more like do you see this square the, there's a number there. I'll take it from this form and put that number in the other form. It's like really mechanical things that could that I assume are done by computers now, but mm-hmm. uh I'm old, so this was millions of years ago before we used computers <laughs> for these things, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so cool I did though. that. I did that for a while. And afterwards, I decided I like the hard part about that actually was the traveling, even though it was a good part, it was a bad part, because you could be gone, as I said, for weeks or even months at a time in, in a city where you didn't know anybody. And yeah, that's, it
0: w- that's hard. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was exciting until it wasn't because it's not like you're going to the same place. Like you just the only people I kind of got to know are the reg- the employees at the hotels. They almost became my friends, which is kind of sad. (laughs) And after a while, I I I got tired of missing like important dates. Like I couldn't uh, missed one of my best friends' weddings, for example, because I was just too far and I had too many ships and I couldn't come back. And that was devastating. So I didn't know what to do. But I knew I was going to quit. I actually um, I became a graphic, a freelance graphic and web designer, hundred percent self taught. Uh, and how this happened is that when I was young, when I was fourteen, my dad needed a website, and uh, he, you know, he asked if I knew anybody. He, that's kind of cheap. Didn't want to <laughs> spend the big bucks. It's like, do you do, do any of your friends know how to do the website thing? Uh, I'm yeah. willing to pay. So um, I, I said, yeah, I'll do it. I never made a website before. And I went to uh, Chapters and I bought a book that said learn how to make website in 21 days. And I read it over a weekend and then I knew how to make websites. website. So I made his website and uh, uh, his friends started asking me to make websites for their businesses. So I started a little, you know, side hustle where I got better over time. And, and they were mm-hmm. like legitimate. Like I, I learned how to use ZenCart and make like an actual, you know, like the people are able to make transactions. It was like legit. Mm-hmm. and uh, but i wasn't much of an artist so i used to just buy themes and modify them you know like I, that got me used to using photoshop to some some extent um, and then i learned flash so when i wanted when i had to pick a different career after realizing i didn't want to be a shipping agent and for the rest of my life and have that nomadic type of lifestyle um freelance graphic web design came to mind uh i'm not a very good businessman though. So even <laughs> even though I loved the craft itself, I would be a little bit of a perfectionist. I would take too much time and wouldn't necessarily charge extra and turn down jobs. And then when I was done, didn't actually have jobs lined up. I made, I, I mean, I was still in my early twenties, so it shouldn't be too harsh on myself. Um,
0: and but, running a business is definitely, it's, it's, it's a learned skill. It's not, I don't think anybody's good at it yeah. to start with.
1: I, I agree. Um, so I made a couple of mistakes, and I needed something else to pay the bills. Uh, but this actually gave me a lot of foundational skills that I would use later in the gaming industry, like you know Photoshop, uh, scripting, a lot of that came from there. I even made a, a few Flash games, uh, but I needed something more stable. So I, I did tech support in the telecommunications uh, industry. Uh, not tech support for customers, but tech support for for people in stores. So, you know, they would call in and they'd be like, okay, I'm trying to set this up. This isn't working. So I learned all their back, uh, the the backend so like POS, software. Like POS kind of yeah, stuff? Or? Exactly. Like, you know, Best Buy would call me and say, I'm trying to uh, set up this cell phone for this customer and this is not working. Can you help me get oh, okay. it up and running? That kind of thing. Um, I have actually quite a few fun, memorable stories uh, that I could share. Uh, one in particular jumps out. It's not one I'm particularly proud of. It's actually weird. I'm both proud of it and not proud of it at the same time. So, <laughs>
0: okay, now, uh, now, now you you've piqued my curiosity.
1: <laughs> so, uh, there was this uh, one uh, lady in a store who called up and she said, "Listen, uh, someone's in the store. He won't leave. He's trying to activate a phone, and the phone says it's stolen." but he's showing me all kinds of paperwork and to prove that he bought it, it's under his name. The serial seems to match up, but I can't activate a stolen phone or, and one that says that it's stolen. Can, is there any way that you could find out if this is legit or not? Uh, do you have any, and I didn't. Like in my system, if it's flagged as stolen, we just don't activate it. I've never had a case where someone's insisting that a phone isn't stolen. Um, and she said that they've been trying to get rid of him. Uh, she, she I, th- I believe she was the manager they've been trying to get rid of him in the store for an hour and he's not leaving. He's like insisting. So I said, Oh, you know, pass, pass him to me on the phone. So he came on the phone and I said, uh, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, I'm just going to have to ask you to stay put. I'm sending someone over to talk to you. Please don't leave the store. And he's like, Oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm not going to leave the store. And I'm like, can you, can you hand the phone back to the lady? Uh, And he handed the phone back and and I said, so what happened? She said, he stormed out of there. He ran out. (laughs) And I said, okay, well, then the phone was stolen. Because if he had stayed put, then I would have told you, okay, it's probably legitimate. And I would have just removed the flag of stolen phone and been done with it. Because if he's not afraid to see someone from head office show up, like, you know, people in, in dark suits, then he believes his claim. But if he has, if he believes, then, you know, it's a scam of some sort. Uh, Because I I, I put a sense of urgency, Uh, it was a little bit of a white lie, I admit. But I was happy that that kind of situation (laughs) resolved itself. There were other similar things uh, like what's usually irate. Like the 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 people in the stores are always super kind and nice. It's not the same kind of tech support job that where you have to talk to irate customers on the other end. Uh, But you know, sometimes the you did get some of those calls. I. I have a bunch of stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, after the tech support, uh, I, I was always freelancing with graphic and web design on the side at the same time. Um, but the, the interesting thing is, uh, I never really, I never really considered a job in the gaming industry before a specific thing happened. One of my friends who had studied history in Concordia at the same time that I went to Concordia, he studied history. Uh, He became a game designer, and that like I used to make board games and card games when I was young. I used to make like levels for Doom and uh, Duke Nukem and all this stuff, but I never considered it as a career choice. And I jumped from like many different jobs. I even dabbled in stand up comedy very briefly. That went really, really poorly. <laughs> um, it even developed stage fright from it. Uh, but I never considered game design, even though, I was, even when I was a freelance graphic and web designer, I would make little flash games until one of my friends, who was Muslim, Arab, you know, brown, like me, also tall, we played field hockey together, we had a lot of things in common, until he became a game designer. And all of a sudden, it opened up uh the possibility in my head like i was like oh this is something that i could do and the incredible thing is i already had a portfolio i was already making flash games i mean they were pretty terrible mind you but i already had levels and under- hey, tournament por-
0: portfolio is way better than no portfolio for sure yes no matter and, how bad it is
1: <laughs> and this is a time in montreal specifically where the, the ubisoft campus had started but nobody graduated from it yet. Oh, okay. So the flood of applicants hadn't happened. It was like the perfect storm of if you have a portfolio, you have an interview, or so I thought. But that's why, like, I, to, as a, a to come back to my original point, that's why I find that representation is so important. I never considered um, a job in games until I saw someone like me get a job in games, even though at the time I was pretty much a qualified applicant if you like com- compared to i was told later that my my portfolio was decent even though i thought it was pretty terrible but, you know I have different standards i mean yeah. if you're looking at
0: juniors like your expectation is not like you know sellable product it's yeah. like do you understand basic principles of design do you understand you know, yeah. w- what am I working with here? <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. I and mean, you Mike,
0: you you're interview juniors, you understand.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely, and you you're teach. absolutely right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, I um, I already had a portfolio; it wasn't that great, uh, but my friend helped me uh, fix it up, and we moved in that direction uh, over six months, and then I applied to every studio I could think of. And I didn't get an I uh, didn't get a callback for months. And when I finally got a call, even even though like he was like, "I don't get it. Your portfolio is good. Why, why aren't you getting a callback?" Because sometimes it's just l- luck of the draw. And I guess at that point, some companies were waiting for Ubisoft campuses to let a whole bunch of game designers and level designers loose. They were they graduated six months after I got my job, just to give you an idea of the timeline. Like I really
0: okay. wow, um, that's that's uh that's a very Specific time for Montreal yes. game dev. Like, I think back then. So Ubisoft now has, I think Ubisoft Montreal has like thirty-five, over thirty-five hundred employees. Yeah, I think they're close to four thousand, pretty Yeah, sure. and I think that's around the time that I started. That was like what two thousand
1: That was I started in two thousand seven.
0: Yeah, yeah. So two thousand seven. Yeah. So yeah, that would have been like when they were like I think a third of the size, like a yeah. little
1: over a thousand. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so the Montreal
0: game dev scene probably all together was probably like 3,000 people. Now yeah. we're at like, I think 12.
1: Back something. then, the big the other big studios weren't around. I think the only EA was a mobile EA. There was no Warner Brothers. There was no, no you know, It was there. Like Army of Two was already there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They also had and, the mobile branch. They had, uh, yeah. I think it was Big Fish. Uh, but Warner and, Brothers um, wasn't there. Uh, Ados was wasn't there. already there. Yeah, that was um, my first job, actually. Gameloft was oh, Game Lof, uh, okay. the company and who Behaviour,
0: hired me. Behaviour is pretty old yeah. school. They've, yeah. been, they've been around for a long time.
1: Yeah, and there was DTI as well that was around at the time. Uh, but there were only a handful of, of studios, and there were no indies. This yeah, it was,
0: was it, was, it was, Yeah, that was way before indies. Like. Exactly.
1: So, yeah, what happened is I, I got a call back at that point um, from Gameloft. Uh, For an interview. What was interesting is that they they said that they were looking for a poker expert. And Masao, I wasn't a poker expert. I played a little (laughs) bit here and there. But you better believe I told them I was a poker expert, right? I'm like, yeah, that's me. I I can make your poker. And uh, they're like, okay, there's a test. This was like on a Wednesday. Um, I said, okay. So they said there's a test on Friday. So I called in sick from my tech support job. Uh, went to chapters, uh, Got a bought poker. five poker poker books, oh, wow. and didn't sleep for two days. And I crammed every bit. I became a poker expert effectively in two days. Uh maybe not so much in, in the instincts and the playing, but definitely in the in the strategies. And like I knew how to ca- count cards at that point, uh, at least in theory. And um, I aced the test, I didn't get a single question uh, wrong. And I'm telling you right now, I would have completely failed it if I didn't do that because none of the questions were the obvious ones. All of them were like, what is a continuous play? And um, what is the rule of two and four? Like things that if you just casually play poker, you probably don't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, if, like I, I cramped and I got everything right. And I was apparently the only one who did that. So. I, when I started at, at the job, a lot of the the skills that I had learned in graphic and web design came back. But I was also missing; I had a huge uh, holes in an application that I didn't really need for uh, for that. You know, for for when I was do we used to do graphic and web design. So, mm-hmm. of course, the imposter syndrome hits you at that point, right? And it <laughs> never leaves.
0: <laughs> yeah, and here you are. How? Many, and here I am. How, was that thirteen years later? Thirteen 14. years
1: later, exactly. Uh-huh. It's. I think it's. Well, I, I lost count. I believe it's fourteen years this year, or is it thirteen years this year in November?
0: I well, think it's, it's fourteen
1: years. Seven, right? So, yeah, yeah, fourteen years. Fourteen years this uh, this November. Yeah, time flies, huh?
0: Yeah, um, I'm actually hitting fifteen years in
1: twelve days. Oh wow! Days. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's my birthday in eight days. Well, I don't oh, know when I- this is gonna air. So it's my birthday from yeah, eight days a few
0: of the like <laughs> two months. I this is like episode I think eighteen, and I think we just put out ten. Okay, so uh, it was my birthday a while ago. <laughs> when you're hearing this, <laughs> when we recorded it was <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So okay, let's uh, bring it back to game development. What do you think all these jobs that you did before, what is something that you got out of it that you no longer get from game development?
1: Okay, one of the uh, most interesting thing about the shipping job is exactly that, is you're able to meet people um, from different backgrounds and cultures. I'm not saying that doesn't exist in game development, but a lot of the times when you meet people who are you know, from different cultures, they're kind of already acclimated to living here because i've worked in montreal my entire career so they're already montrealers or at least they have the the, they've they've studied it they lived here for a while when you meet people who are not from here uh, on a consistent basis you see the world in a very different way and i miss that like people don't try to meet you halfway they are who they are right they, they they step they step off a boat as if they just stepped off of their country do you do you follow the what For i'm saying sure. and yeah. i think it
0: and it, it also has to do with the industry right like i feel like in games like you do meet people from other cultures but we're all working in the same industry and there's yeah. certain types of kind of shared like norms yes that have been established but where whereas I mean, they're on boats. Like yeah. that's that's like a like a closed system. You know,
1: yeah, they just it's a microcosm their, of exactly.
0: yeah, and they bring their country with them, right? They even
1: fly their flags. Exactly, and they they make their foods. Like I mean, you <laughs> they're generally the, the when you. I mean, this is something that's probably going to be surprising because I think a lot of people expect the food on ships to be similar to like food on airplane, but that's not my experience at all. From what I find is that. Uh, they have a lot of time on the sea, and they have like people who have a lot of time will spend yeah, a lot of
0: space, right? Like, yes. see, that's a big difference between a boat and a, yeah. And a, I mean, the, the, the
1: quarters are still, still smaller, perhaps, they're, they're still yeah, smaller. Still have but, a kitchen,
0: you know, like, yes. whereas having a proper
1: kitchen in the air is impossible, pretty difficult. <laughs> yeah, especially since you're not allowed to have cutlery in the air, <laughs> so you can't really prepare food, you can just well, like.
0: Like, you know, private private planes and, like, yeah. you know, Air Force One, I think, yes. uh, probably has proper, proper... I don't know
1: I don't know right what now. planes you fly, Masao, or fly in, but the ones I get on don't have it cutler. <laughs> no. But that's...
0: Not, Actually, yeah. One of the shocking things about, like, I've flown, like... Like, I've never flown first class, but I've flown, like, business first. Yeah. Because they, they bump me up. Because uh, uh, when I was working on Naruto, I went to Japan, like, I don't know, six, seven times a year. Yeah so like i was like super elite class so they would uh <laughs> i was higher priority to get bumped up they get silverware yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the, yeah in the front of the plane
1: yeah it's true uh when i i mean i i only flew first class once and i didn't pay for it i got bumped to first class uh I didn't fly at a time where we would be served a meal. So we had plenty of fancy snacks. Um, and I don't drink. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, they, I mean, I, I was a waste of a bump, <laughs> if you ask me. Because, I mean, I, I didn't think so myself. But I bet everyone else was confused around me because I was the only one who was not drinking, right? But, but man, those seats are comfortable in Oh, yeah, my God. They, are. they um, are. They're out of this world. Yeah. It's- how the other other part live right <laughs> but yeah so like the the ship the ship quarters are still somewhat cramped like they're not as comfortable or not as big as you would imagine a home to be but they're nowhere near as cramped as as uh, uh, as the airplanes are um, and because of that like you actually have usually depending on the size of the ship, you have a, a person whose job, like a, like a chef, whose his job is to prepare the meals every day uh, for everyone on board, and um, that, like, ev- without exception, every time I've been on a ship, whenever they've offered me food, it's been exquisite. It's been great. I think there's a certain pride that comes from from doing that, and also they have like especially i i would assume that because i'm a guest they they would like bring out the better you know like the not the everyday food <laughs> you
0: know, like you know like this person is a is is a chef you know yes. like a trained chef like they're not going to hire someone who is bad obviously no, Like no. you're going you're out there for you know weeks months if not sometimes a, yeah. A month, yeah so
1: yeah. they have months yeah. before shore leave uh and uh it's actually really interesting because sometimes the crew doesn't have the ability to leave the ship. Sometimes, um, they they are. Yeah. Depending on which countries they're from, sometimes nobody is allowed to leave. Sometimes only the captain is allowed to leave. Sometimes they are only able to leave with an escort. Uh, it changes depending on which flag they fly, then their individual nationalities. I mean, you could imagine it doesn't take a big stretch to imagine that.
0: Yeah. It's based on agreements between the countries. Yeah, for sure. Exactly.
1: Uh, so sometimes you have these um like it's it's a little bit heartbreaking like because they're like hey uh, come show us a, a fun night out of the town but only five people are allowed to set foot on uh you know to take short leave and come like bowling or whatever with you and the rest kind of make up for it by buying memorabilia and souvenirs for the ones who were left on 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 the boat like they you they like i was i think more sad about it than they were i think they're they're just they gotten so used to it at that point that it's like Automatic for them. They know right?
0: Yeah. I mean, because a lot of times, like visa agreements like that, kind of happen in groups. Yeah. So basically, if you're not allowed to do that in Canada, they're probably not allowed to do that a lot of places.
1: Exactly. And um, what's really interesting is sometimes a company from a country will fly a flag from a different country because it allows them uh, access to ports that they wouldn't normally have. Uh, I found that like that was surprising to me. And the best indicator of what country uh, a ship is isn't the flag. It's actually the nationality of the captain. Almost 100% of the time, the captain is of the nationality of the company that's uh, selling the ship. But the crew could be a mix and match from different countries. It, it, it's it, it. You do have, like, uh, I, I've visited many Indian ships and many South Korean ships, for example, where 100% of the crew were from India or South Korea. That happens as well. And the company is also Indian, and they're flying an Indian flag. But i visited the German ship, for example, where the captain is the only German person on the ship, and they're not flying a German flag, and everybody on the, on the ship is for, from an assortment of different countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I think it was the captain and the... Um, the engineer who were german and everyone else wasn't
0: yeah there's also tax reasons too i think a lot of american ships actually fly panama
1: yeah a common one yeah um and there it's also yeah tax reasons but it's also fees like countries to fly uh, uh their flag you actually get charged i think liberia was one of the most popular flags and they okay. like they don't really have a fleet they don't have a lot of ships and it's none the of the ships yeah, it's just super cheap to to, to fly the flag. It's kind of like when you're buying domain names. I forget which country has the cheapest domain names on earth, and everybody has that domain name, uh, but like nobody's from that country. Like a similar thing happens with librarian flags, where you have them all over the place. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I don't remember the original question. uh what did you get out
0: of uh uh, working your previous jobs that uh
1: oh yes of course
0: and the answer was interacting with people from different cultures yeah i think i don't know i think that's a pretty pretty legitimate statement um you know this podcast is not specifically about that but uh yeah the the industry can be a bit (laughs) homogenous
1: yeah it can you know, in some studios more than others, but <laughs> uh, we'll go into detail on at that point. But yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, so let's flip that question over. What do you think having all these jobs before you were a game developer, uh, how does it impact you as a game developer in terms of your process or creative output?
1: One thing uh, that it actually helps me with is to get a little bit of perspective. And what I'm about to say might be taken the wrong way. So um, I'm going to... I'm going to start, lead with that and see where it takes me. But uh, I think a lot of people who come into the gaming industry, they have expectations um, that are unrealistic. Maybe they're thinking that they're going to have fun all the time or that every facet of the job is going to be like a party because they, they have a romanticized idea of what making games is. Um, less so now. That I, I've noticed that people go to game schools. I think schools do a better job of tempering that. But when I started in the industry, I met a lot of people who would come in and we'd be disappointed to do the boring parts of the job. As an example, um, I've worked at jobs where the boring part was ninety percent of the job, right? The, and the fun part you have to you have to try really hard. You have to squint and look for it. <laughs> That's not our reality. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say that the gaming industry is perfect. We have a lot of problems. I'm I'm pretty outspoken and vocal about it. That's not what this podcast is about, so I'm not going to harp on that. But that's one thing that I think having jobs in other industries has helped me uh, put things in in perspective. Uh, Even through all the negative things in our industry, we're fortunate. Like there's A lot of people want to break in. Um, and they have a hard time, and they have valid reasons for wanting to to break in. They might not always understand our reality, and they might romanticize it. But other industries, for creatives specifically, th- it's it's harder. It's harder to wake up in the morning and go to your job that requires you to just uh, put numbers in fields arbitrarily based on rules, without any creative output, without any sense of camaraderie with the team. Um, I think that like working those difficult jobs um, and like helped me really appreciate what what I had when I got into the industry, even on the hard days, even on the difficult days, uh, even on the days where you question, should I leave? And that's a valid question for people who are like, who are in a difficult in a, had a difficult week or a difficult day, but even in those days, I just all I have to do is think back to my three, four, five other jobs that I've had before, and think: Would I rather be doing those things than than this? And so far, for for fourteen years, the answer has been no. So I think that's one of the advantages: is it allows me to be more resilient. This could be taken the wrong way. I'm not saying not to try to improve our situation as an industry. And I'm not saying that everything is rosy. You're
0: you're just saying you have perspective because this is not your only form of uh, grown-up job.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. No, I
0: I can relate. Video games has been my only real career, but I've had weird jobs (laughs) over the years (laughs) when I was younger. I worked at a cracker factory. Interesting. So my, my dad used to run a cracker factory. So... So, I went to high school in the United States, Mm -hmm. and before that, I lived in Japan. So, um, in Japan, uh, the school year starts from April and ends in March. So, I graduated junior high school in Japan in ninth grade, and um, I was going to matriculate into uh, high school in the United States, but that didn't start until September. So, my parents were like, well, I guess you'll wait and you're not going to just sit around and do nothing. So you're going to go work Hmm. because, uh, in Japan, if you, after you graduate junior high school, you can legally get a job. Yeah. So yeah, I worked in my dad's, uh, cracker
1: factory. What did you do?
0: Uh, I did all kinds of different stuff. Um, so the type of crackers that, uh, we made were, uh, which is made from mochi rice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, they take the rice, they steam the rice, they pound the rice, they make mochi and then they dry the rice or they, they refrigerate the rice until it gets uh, hard enough. And then they shave it and then they bake it. And then they, and then we, um, uh, dunk it in, uh, sauce, soy sauce and sugar and meeting and all kinds of stuff. And then we get baked and then it would get packaged and it would be put into boxes and those boxes would be put on trucks <laughs> and pretty much every single step of the process uh i've done really not, not, not all of it like i didn't do any of the mochi stuff because that mm. was i was too small and that was that was that w- that required a lot of heavy lifting so
1: that's interesting you know my father used to well my father had uh, multiple businesses at the same time Uh, one of them, he was the official distributor for fruit of the loom apparel in Quebec. Okay. And I worked in his warehouse. So I mean it's not the same but like yeah we're I mean the,
0: I mean boxes of boxes of anything yeah. <laughs>
1: boxes of anything <laughs> ultimately what's in, what's insane is I can barely remember my own phone number but I remember the color codes for all the t-shirts and sweatshirts from when I was 14 15 year old working in my dad's factory uh, sorry not factory but warehouse and oh I was about to say a thing I was gonna say one of my passwords incorporates one of those uh color codes but i think i said too much (laughs) 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 whatever nobody's ever gonna figure that out uh but either way like to that extent like i i mean back then especially um we, we were involved in every step of it and when i started in college i pretty much managed the place like i i knew enough about it that when my dad was away on his other businesses Uh, I, I did the orders, I filled them in, I, like, I knew the clients, I, I I put, took things out of boxes and put them in other boxes to put them on the truck. Like I did all of that. Um, I didn't even count it when you're like, what are the jobs that you had? Because that, to me, that was like the pre-college, pre-university era of, of like, I I filed that away in the paper routes.
0: Yeah, I mean me too. Like I did that for I I did that for three years because I did that and then every summer when I would go home, I would work at the factory for a couple months. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? No. Yeah,
1: (laughs) me either. (laughs) I
0: mean, people were super nice. Yeah. And but yeah, no, working in a factory sucks. Like there's it's it's difficult. It's hard work. Um, it's hot because like it's I mean, I was literally in an oven. Yeah. Cause you know, they're, they're baking the rice, uh, the rice crackers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um,
1: the, the, my dad's I, warehouse. Prefer, I, pre-
0: I prefer what I do. <laughs>
1: yeah. It gives you perspective. But, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, like I do, I don't think about it in that way, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I definitely like, well, it's not working in, in a, you know, in a, it's not factory work. That's, yeah. that's for sure.
1: I think about that whenever I'm having a really bad day at work, um, especially when I had jobs that were, like before my current job, when I had uh, extremely rough uh, rough days, I used to think back to uh, the factory, was sorry, the warehouse was one of them uh because it was maton- uh, like, uh, monotonous it was completely repetitive yeah. and it was nothing creative about it whatsoever and i i noticed now that i i rank my jobs by how creative they are like in how much i love them if there's no creative outlet i used to have to work overtime and do creative things on my own time just to, to scratch that itch and that was exhausting so <laughs>
0: That's the thing, like a job like that, you conform to the job, you know, that's, that's the thing about an assembly line or, you know, like that kind of industrialized process. Yeah. I mean, I definitely do see it. I mean, I, I'm definitely with you in the sense that having jobs like that and give you a perspective in a sense that like, it's, it, when the, when the job isn't fun, it's like, well, it's a job, you know, it's not, it's not always fun. That's, that's normal.
1: Yeah. When my dad was uh, studying petroleum engineering, uh, because he was a petroleum engineer in in Iraq before he moved here and became a businessman. Uh, It's a funny story, actually. We were supposed to be in Alberta because there's oil there and there was no oil in Montreal. And he had a layover in Montreal and decided he liked Montreal more than more than Alberta. And that's why (laughs) we're here. (laughs) But that's a different story. When he was in in Iraq, uh, what he told me, it's actually stuck with me. He said that, um whenever someone studied petroleum engineering, uh, before they allowed them to be an engineer, there was a mandatory period of several months where they had to work as a, a hand on an oil rig. You have to go through that. And the reason was made clear to them. It's because if you don't do the manual part of the job, you're not qualified to tell those who do how to do their job if you don't have an intimate understanding of uh, what it takes to like, or how hard it is or how long it takes. um, So how are you going to draw up a map and, you know, make people change the way that they work? Otherwise people are, you're, you're, you're probably going to set unrealistic goals or you're going to work people to death or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. So that stuck with me because it's not just, we're going to give you a tour and show you no, you're doing that hard labor for six months before they allow you to to join the engineering team. It's actually pretty brilliant
0: yeah I think uh I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean when you look around and I think a lot of really awful capitalist stuff wouldn't be happening if people actually yep. you know had to had to do that initially
1: I agree, a hundred
0: and ten percent so uh, we've been going for a while so let's let's uh, let's wrap up the last question is what is something you want people to know about well I guess any of the any of the previous jobs that you had maybe shipping let's focus on shipping what is something <laughs> that you you like people to know about or something they wouldn't know that you think is interesting
1: that's a very good question can I narrow it down to one thing it's a hard job uh, and I don't mean me, uh, the job I did as a shipping agent. I meant being uh, a sailor was a very difficult job. There was a lot of effort put in by people to cheer up others, especially those who were on their first voyage, and you could see it because it was such a drastic, drastic change for them. This is—I'm sorry if this gets a little dark, but like the, the rate of suicide is pretty high. Like, some you signed up, and for people who didn't know uh, about uh, like what they were getting into. Sometimes they'd be away for six, like three months or six months away from home. Uh, some, like back then, especially uh, satellite phones, which was the only way to communicate back home, were extremely expensive. And a lot of the people who signed up to be uh, sailors, they didn't have, uh, like, they did it because of necessity. They didn't have money, so they couldn't do that. So imagine a lot of the of, of the the people who just started off in that industry were eighteen year olds or. I suspect sometimes younger, even though legally that wasn't supposed to be the case, who were plucked away from their families, uh, sometimes sent by their families, and then they send money back home. And they had access to like you know, there was a lot of emotional labor that went on from the, the people who've been doing it a long time to try to make it easier for the ones who 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 were there, who who just started doing that. Uh, I don't know why I brought that part up, but like you know, I, I, it's it's the the part from that job that stuck with me to this day. I think about it once in a while whenever I see a ship go by in a port. I think about all the people who just chose that job, and uh, I actually wonder how different it is now for them. Back then, it was extremely isolating and very difficult. Yeah, sorry, maybe this is not the best. No, I think it
0: was. No, it's it's a. Uh... You're giving us uh, something to ponder as yeah. as we part. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Well, I that was great. I really enjoyed this episode. It was uh
1: Thank you. I'm really happy that you had me.
0: I mean, I say this every single time, which I'm starting <laughs> to kind of I I to sound insincere, but it's true. Like all these conversations are always very interesting and uh and always very different, you know. Yeah. Like every everyone takes this in a completely different direction. It's been a it's been a fascinating journey.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really, really happy to have been invited. Masawa, you're good people. <laughs> thank you.
0: <laughs> and, and, and you too. Thank you. That was one of the longer episodes. So thank you for listening all the way through. Thank you to Dave Wallace for providing the music. And thank you to Therese Lance for providing the logo. Bye.